Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Safe to Race, No Risk. That's submitted by RS Archer on Twitter. Hello, I'm your host Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners. So, let's be friends. Welcome to our Italian Grand Prix race review. And I think it was quite good. The Italian outfit kept us on our toes by rising from their slump conveniently at their home race. Williams pulled off 250 consecutive rocket launches to keep the Williams resurgence hopes alive. And Hamilton and Piastri traded blows while Verstappen cruised his way into the history books. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first-ish. I'm joined in the shed by my friend, Matthew Trumpets. Hello, Matt. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Leclerc locking up in a cloud of smoke. Yeah, but he was in control. That was fine. <laughs> it was entirely in control. That I, was nothing. Man, listening to those two after the race. Oh, that was so thrilling. I, like, super enjoyed that fight that nearly took us both out of our team's home Grand Prix. Wasn't that? And then there's sweat dripping down their faces as they're like, it was fine. I promise it was fine. Yeah, the, the way signs is like, oh, yeah, it was a really good fight. I enjoyed that, that I so really much. I didn't want to have, yeah. I, I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, don't worry, it's not just me and Matt. We're also joined by rising commentary superstar, Chris Stevens. Hello, Chris. Hey, Spanners. you got to get me in for one last show before all those commentaries start up again. Is it? Is this your last ever show with Miss Apex? Oh, this is the the farewell so long, farewell, afwida saying goodbye. Before you celebrate out there, <laughs> out there listening, don't worry. Uh, we do grab Chris as much as we can. Although we, we're never sad to lose you to a, a commentary gig, Chris. Oh, thanks, man. Mm. Wait, hang on. That was a compliment, right? It's sort of a compliment, <laughs> but it could be construed as we've got plenty Slightly of replacements. Look, I refer to all of you guys as as my light bulbs. You know, my little light bulbs because you're replaceable. And don't last that long. Uh, the next light bulb, I mean, panelist, is Kyle Power. Hello, Kyle. Hey, how's it going? Um, Mighty Monza delivered us a rather magnificent race, didn't it? It was. It like, was. It was good. It's a. It's such a, a different feature to the European calendar. It, it stands out for all the right reasons. If you had twenty-two Monzas, I'd soon get sick of it. But I can. I can take one Monza. Well, yeah, and in sort of well. Besides the last sort of two, three years, which have been crazy, it's usually been a bit of a snore fest, Mon. So you don't yeah. really have that many classic races there. But I think this will probably go down as a bit of a classic. We had quite a few good battles and overtaking moves. Well, let's talk about why Monza, you know, doesn't always deliver. Obviously, uh, 
strategically wise, Matt, even with the softest tyres, this doesn't offer us an awful lot in tyre strategy. Uh, well, no, it, it was interesting. It was almost a two-stopper. Or it was a two-stopper for a chunk of the cars. But at the front, even with the softest compounds, it's still not quite enough to tip them over into having to make multiple pit stops. And that's just going to be a combination of the fact that there's only like, what, three actual turns on the track and uh, just the nature of the asphalt itself relative to the rubber that Pirelli has developed for the overall series. Mm. As, as much as I've enjoyed speaking to you about F1 over the last eight years, and, and as much as like you even say maths instead of math to, to like accommodate us, us uh, people on the British Isles, you still call them turns instead of corners. And are every single time that feels wrong. Uh, that's what the race engineers call them. Is so, it? Are we wrong? Yeah. Damn. They don't say corner one, they say turn one. Ah, no, but that's, I think that's different. I think it applies in that scenario. But anyway, if you were counting the amount of corners, they're corners, but I think a turn can be turn one, two, and three. Uh, but let's talk about Monza because the racing, Kyle, is often very scruffy. And it, you know how much I don't like chicanes. So here's, here's the order in which I hate those chicanes. So the first one, turn one and two, which is like one of those classic safety chicanes. That's one of the worst chicanes on the calendar. I hate it. The second one after Curva Grande is called... Go on, who knows? Who's got, who's got turn knowledge? Oh, I can't remember. Oh, all of you have drawn a blank. Brilliant. That's fantastic. So that one's not too bad. And then the one that leads on to the back straight before Parabolica is pretty Ascari. good. Ascari. That's yeah, Ascari. okay, okay. So Ascari's pretty good as far as chica- chicane goes and almost not a chicane. But that first chicane, Kyle, the racing there is just so messy. Yeah, it's messy because it's super, super tight cutback. Now, this is a slight improvement over the original chicane, which could be a controversial opinion, which was a double flip-flop that we used to get. Um, and that you pretty much could have no racing in there whatsoever. So at least you get racing, but it is super, super tight. And when you've got these big, heavy and clumsy Formula One cars, uh, yeah, it's either somebody comes through, somebody's very, very compliant to somebody coming through, or you end up with cars on people's heads. I know what you mean, Kyle. I mean, I hate the fact that we have this, you know, chicane at the start of the lap that provides the best action that we see throughout the race. I mean, it sucks, doesn't it? The fact that we saw so many great racing moments through there today. Ah, just yeah, it's awful. Hate it. But it is good. And it does set up some some good races. So as we've seen in a couple of battles, uh, you can have somebody will get somebody on the hop, as we call it. So get the move them out of position into turn one. And that can set up a, a really good move down into the second chicane, which is my personal disliked chicane. Because if you drive it on the sim or anything, like that, it is a nightmare with the big <laughs> bouncy sausage curbs. And that is a super tight chicane. Uh, we did see Albon manage to make a move stick around the outside of Piastri on the first opening laps, I believe. But otherwise, apart from that, you usually either get them both running off track or contact or somebody spinning like we saw Vettel do in 2019, I believe. So yeah, it's a very frustrating chicane to drive. But yeah, it does offer some good action. Well, I would disagree a little bit. Not about the difficulty of turn four, because it is really difficult. But I think it's set up to be several times a really important place in the race where passes were made. Because as you mentioned, and and as we saw Max, I think, ultimately make the pass on Carlos, it allowed if you got better traction out of the end of the first chicane and you managed to get to the inside, you you could effectively block your opponent out 
into the turn, make them turn in late, and you, you could take position if you if you had the speed to to make it stick. So not as many happen there, but also just to impeach Chris's evidence, uh, turn one is also the end of the longest DRS zone on the track, I believe. So it's inevitably going to be a place where lots of overtakes happen. Yeah, but this Grand Prix, for whatever reason, seemed to deliver, Carl. So do we know why why we had good racing action here when when quite a lot of the time it is quite processional? Uh, yeah, it's either processional or you get lots of massive DRS blast pass. Now, I think we saw quite a lot of good action into turn one because, yeah, for once, they actually got the DRS zones, in my opinion, absolutely spot on. They shortened it again this year. And the whole point of DRS uh, is yeah. to put you in a position to affect a pass to make a pass it's not supposed to, to be a blast past and it they it's massively reduced and we saw it it was just about perfect it will put the cars in a position that they could make a late desperate lunge on the brakes um almost take your team out on teammate out on the last lap type lunge on the yeah. brakes but um yeah so i think the drs zone counted a lot for it and also some of the softer tires and these new gens of cars the regs do work somewhat they can follow each other closer and they're not cooking their tires so the parabolica coming onto that main straight is a nightmare corner to follow another car and look how close verstappen was able to follow science and the ferraris and i think that's what set up we saw it all the way down the field we got yeah. some brilliant racing into turn one so the only time i can really think of on the broadcast there was a pure like drs pass where they were super clear was when verstappen overtook hamilton but hamilton was on much older hard tyres. I think every other situation we saw Verstappen fighting with uh, Sainz and even Perez coming through the Ferraris as well, and even Hamilton past the McLarens and the Williams, it, it, it wasn't like that. They had to fight into, you know, all the corners. Uh, Chris? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I think one of the reasons we saw such a great race, particularly up the front between the Red Bulls and the Ferraris, was the two cars and the two teams had two slightly different philosophies of how to run uh, this weekend and how to extract the maximum potential from the car. Ferrari seemed to throw a little bit more at this race specifically. We know their low downforce package has been really good throughout the season and they were quicker in a straight line than the Red Bull, which had more downforce than the Ferrari. So we were seeing these two different philosophies play out throughout the race. And as was evidenced in qualifying, there was actually very little to separate them in terms of ultimate lap time. And so what you probably, we ended up with was the Red Bulls being faster throughout the lap, but really struggling to get past the Ferraris because of their superior straight line speed. And therefore Max having to get a little bit inventive um, and actually relying on a mistake from Carlos Sainz in the end to make that lead change pass. And we we saw that filter out throughout uh, the remainder of that battle, not only, you know, with Max, but also when Checo joined the fight a little bit later on. And also between the Williams and the McLarens as well, because the Williams we know has been a rocket ship uh, in a straight line all season long. And uh, we saw how that played out in their battle with the McLaren and also uh, Lewis Hamilton as well. It's an interesting track in that regard, because you do have sort of the people who slim it down to nothing and the people who bet more on being able to get more out of the turns. But the interesting thing, and I noticed this in qualifying, I don't know if anybody else did. Oh, I definitely that, noticed. Whatever this is, all over it. Was that Ferrari was quicker in sector one and sector two, but Red Bull had a massive advantage. By massive, I mean about a tenth in sector three. And, and we saw that play out in the race. But I think it was signs after the race, it might have been Leclerc, was talking about it and said, 
I don't know what Red Bull did, but their ability to get on the throttle early in Parabolica was like, he he's like, I don't know how they did that because no one else was even close to being able to get that kind of a launch back onto the straight. So it sounds like once again, the clever Red Bull engineering people figured out where they really needed to be fastest. I thought it was mainly tire life. I thought Ferrari was just melting their rears a little bit by the time they got the last turn. But but clearly Red Bull put their finger on the pulse of this track and got their car exactly right for what they needed it to do. Yeah, agree. Uh, Marco did allude to this and said that they pretty much focused on the race and not qualifying again. They didn't expect to get pole. They knew Ferrari were going to be quick. Uh, another factor to this as well is their deployment strategies for the ERS systems and how they're deploying their electrical energy. We could see it during the race that um, Sites was not deploying at all, really, going down towards Parabolica, and Max was. And you could see Max destroying science in the straight line all the way up to parabolica and then science the final dumping yeah. all of his battery yeah all yeah. of his battery up the Wait. main straight into turn one and Wait. that was really really working so i think maybe they were doing this in um in quality a bit as well i think they've got slightly different deployment strategies of where they're using their electric are, are we taking all of this from that graphic that came up and is that an aw <laughs> no. is that an aws graphic uh, I think that's a guesstimation at best, isn't it? That AWS graphic. The teams are no way going to give the information on their state of charges away. What you can really tell from uh, you know, what you were alluding to there about how he was closing up towards Parabolica, you know it's an ERS thing when you could see he deploys everything on that one lap and then has to do a lap of recharge. So it's not like he was closing every single lap into uh, Parabolica. You can tell when he was giving it the full beans on the battery because he would just roar up to the back of that ferrari and then we get to an even better feature about the ferrari red bull battle and that is managing the rear tires it's so important because you could see on the exit of turn two every time max was like close or even almost having to back out into turn one because he wasn't quite close enough to really maneuver carlos anywhere you could see the traction advantage that the ferrari had but that same advantage was also a big limit for them because as we saw once Max finally got past, he had no tires left in that first stint and was was really struggling to stay ahead of Leclerc the next couple of laps. So Ferrari felt they could get to the end on the hard tire. Yeah, and it was um and it was quite impressive actually to hear Max, I think it was lap two or three comment. Yeah. Yeah. Carlos is sliding already. Cause of course he's sitting behind him. He, he can't really see it on TV, but when they're sitting right behind a car, he could clearly see he was squirming and using a lot of his tires. So he was like, it's fine. He's burning his tires to stay ahead. And it was very calm, just basically waiting for him to make a mistake or his tires to drop off a cliff. So it was quite calm and a very good observation early on. And this is what we talk about uh, when we, when we talk about um, mental capacity of drivers uh, because I, you or I would need 100% of that mental capacity to drive uh, a car on the limit. But uh, the really, really great drivers, so little of their uh, brain processing is dedicated to driving the car. The rest of the time, it's on strategy. And then really, really great drivers will have a bit reserved for the cars around them as well. And so having that comment made so early on, it also just underlines the confidence that Verstappen had in being able to eventually clear science and, and get into the lead. Wow, Chris, coming across very complimentary about Max Verstappen there. Would you say that his dominance is is actually really good for the sport and it's a good thing? I, I think that you've been sent the FIA gift basket as well. <laughs> I, I don't think it's <laughs> great 
for the sport, to be honest. It's actually uh, really I good. I think, look, I we always have to acknowledge and marvel at the excellence that Verstappen and Red Bull are displaying right now because we will look back on this in 30 years and think, wow, that we was yes, we will. Yeah, true. genuinely something so unbelievably impressive. In terms of the here and now, I don't think it's great for the sport, of course, because we we know that Formula One is more popular when we have intense battles and an intense title fight. And the fact that we are having this max domination period coming off of the back of probably one of the best championship fights the sport has ever seen in 2021. Um, it's, you know, we, we gained a lot of fans in that period and now suddenly they're seeing mm. the reality of, of Formula One, which is this is a bit more the norm. Yeah, what we showed them was two weeks in Mallorca, and now now it's all um, now it's all butlings, isn't it? Now it's now it's all down to Perrinpoff with our windbreakers. Yes, that's right. You need a complete set of spikes and cloth just to keep the wind off of your face. Let's zone in on the teams. I picked Perrinpoff because we've just been there. It's very lovely. Please don't at me. Okay, I think, look, let's start with with Red Bull. So we, we've covered a little bit of the basics that, yes, they don't need to worry about qualifying. So, yeah, I get that, Matt. When they say, yeah, we focus more on the race. I mean, why would you not? There is There is no scenario in which Max cannot make his way up the field now. It was actually a little bit of a change to see him genuinely have to work to get past signs. The, the waiting game is very similar to what Hamilton used to do against his teammates, against Rosberg, against Bottas. You know, I, I wonder whether when they say set up for the race, does that mean enough downforce to not slide around, to not rip the tires up? Yeah. In essence, what you're talking about is rather than trying to get the fastest possible lap over a single lap where I, at the end of it, I've overheated the tires into uselessness. Instead, you're looking at seeing how fast can I make this car go and keep the brakes and the tires and all the other parameters that matter in check. How close can I get to that? And what do I need to do that? And then having done that, how am I going to enable overtaking? And in this case, Red Bull clearly decided that they wanted to be fastest in sector three. So they look at how they deploy their energy throughout. They look at where they're going to collect energy. And obviously you look at your suspension and your downforce levels in order to enable having your best shot and giving your drivers their best shot. What was interesting about this to me, and it's going to be very easy in a lot of ways to dismiss the achievement of Max winning 10 in a row, uh, because he hasn't had the same kind of competition that that we saw, uh, say, Hamilton have with Rosberg, et cetera, et cetera. And that's fine. We can talk about that later because that's sort of its own thing. But what's interesting to me is I believe this race was really made at the start because we had we had signs, we had Verstappen, and then we had Leclerc in third place. And I'm going to argue, I think it was Leclerc's job or should have been, and that's the only thing Ferrari should have been looking at, is getting him ahead of Max into the first turn because we're looking at a kind of a much different race if you've got two Ferraris ahead of Max. Ferrari next. Ferrari tactics next, I promise. Uh, but yeah, but Kyle, again, a perfectly executed plan, you know, by Verstappen. I think 
his race after turn 14 is is somewhat irrelevant because then he's cruising off into into the distance but given that he faced a genuine puzzle to unlock this race which was I can't cruise past him on the straights because their top speed was higher and so it's like well how much did Ferrari you know have to sacrifice to to get that one lap pace and then a little bit of straight line speed um probably a bit I think to be honest they they went in all all eggs in one basket. They just went on the, yeah. the lowest downforce they could possibly get, knowing that the straight line speed, they know all season long they have munched their tyres more than the other cars. So they knew they were probably going to be sitting ducks after a few laps. So I think they've probably, they've set up and gone for ultimate pace. Whilst if we go back to setting up the car from the race, Red Bull probably went a bit more understeer inclined to protect the rear tyres a bit more. Ferrari just threw everything at it. Okay. And to be honest, I'm quite surprised that they lasted to lap 15. <laughs> yeah. Which is, which is quite impressive, actually. Yeah. So let's just explain that just quickly. Okay, to me. So uh, the rear tyres going would be from traction events. So launching out of the corners, I guess, like, but downforce isn't acting at very, very slow speed. So why is why are the rears going on the Ferrari and not the Red Bull? Uh, the Ferrari looks like a car. I mean, I'm just um, yeah. making presumptions here. Yeah, yeah so far, so like far. that that has quite a lot with its suspension set up or the chassis, the way it's just set up. It looks like it's a car that's got quite a lot of natural rotation. It looks quite um, front-end orientated. We've seen this right. in several tracks. It really wants to turn. So, of course, when you've, when you've got a car with a lot of rotation on, that puts most of the stress onto the rear tyres. Got it. And at Monza, the limiting factor was the rear left tyre. So if you've got quite a rotating car in Parabolica, you'll probably gain a tenth on the way in. You can rotate the car. But when you go for that traction event right. on the exit, you are putting so much more load onto that rear left tyre, whereas the Red Bull might be a bit more understeery. But it means that they're not leaning on that tire so hard and they can get just a good attraction. So I would imagine it's something to do with that. That's interesting. So I was assuming, and I'll obviously go to Matt for this, I was assuming it was all about how they got out of the corner, not actually going through Parabolica and straining that, that rear by leaning on it. That's not what I was sort of reading. Well, it's, it's a combination of the two. The long radius high speed turns are always going to put more stress on your rear tires. And the more oversteer you have built into the car, the more stress you're putting on the uh, the rear axle of the car. And so that became a limiting factor for Ferrari eventually. Uh, whereas Red Bull with a bit maybe more neutral setup than, than they have gone into in past races, knew that as they were running out of laps on the medium tire, they would have an advantage they could use because, again, they had set up their entire car to be quickest through and out of Parabolica and down the straight. And actually, one thing Max uh, mentioned that was also an issue here and maybe part of the reason we saw it take so many laps, uh, besides Max just generally being fairly mature about pushing the issue with Carlos, is that they still trimmed their downforce pretty significantly. If if you look at the flap, which is responsible for, I'd say, a larger percentage of the Red Bull rear end downforce, if you look at the flap compared to the main plane, they trimmed it pretty significantly. And Max mentioned not having as much of a, quote unquote, natural DRS assist as he'd been used to. So even with all the work they did, it took uh, 15, 14 laps for Carlos to run out of rear tires. And at that point, they were so close to making their strategy work. They were only about five laps away from forcing Red Bull to undercut, yeah, which was very powerful and would have worked, but but it would have been Ferrari guessing ahead of Max. 
but but they were very close to making their whole first stent, stent strategy work. And I believe in the dry, that's possibly the closest in the drive no safety cars. That's possibly the closest we've seen any team run Red Bull and Max this year. But even then, it still relied on an error from Carlos Sainz into the first chicane that allowed Verstappen a better run out of uh, that and then challenge him into the second chicane. So without that mistake from Sainz, I really think that Ferrari might have been onto something here. And because because they can just deploy, you know, the Sainz as the as the blocker. Because he's got the superior straight line speed. And we saw yeah. even with the DRS and the best you know, run in the world, Verstappen could only sort of draw alongside. And uh, the Ferrari was still good enough down the, the second straight to stay ahead there as well. Uh, so, yeah, it would have come down to the pit stops at that point. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, let's make this a segment. Let's talk about how Ferrari could have won the Italian Grand Prix. So this is a point of frustration for me during the race. So obviously we're watching that defence and you're you're starting to believe because Verstappen's sounding slightly frustrated. He can't get by down the straights. Even when he was alongside and down into turn one, round the outside of Carlos Sainz, Carlos Sainz didn't leave him the space, at which point I assumed that Verstappen would uh, follow on with his mantra of what happens when you don't leave the space and immediately mount uh, Verstappen's car on the out, uh, uh, mount Sainz's car on the outside of turn two. But he didn't. He ducked out. Discretion being the better part and all that, he decided to wait on this occasion. Pressure off, no championship on the line this time. But then when Sainz ended up making that mistake and hastening the Verstappen overtake slid on the rears on the exit of turn two as well. Verstappen gets past. So whilst that was disappointing that they didn't get to play out their race plan, it was also disappointing that they then didn't pit one of the cars. So from there, you think, well, maybe Sainz could pit now. Sainz could undercut. Sainz could clear Valtteri Bottas. I know that that was the pit window pointed out on the Sky commentary, putting in behind Bottas. But back yourself to pass your customer team. Maybe Bottas has a little off. Maybe Bottas kind of moves aside a little bit or breaks too early and a gift basket is dropped at the door of Alfa Romeo. So I don't think that would have been a major problem. Back yourself to get the undercut and then you're ahead on fresh tyres. Play the game again. Lengthen it out. So I was disappointed they didn't do that. At that point, it felt like surrender. By not pitting then, they completely ran out of options to fight at all. They then went into that kind of, well, he's gone. Now let's turn around and and focus on Sergio Perez to try and have a double podium. But by that point, they'd already sacrificed quite a lot fighting Max Verstappen. So you think there's a pragmatic approach where you just don't fight Verstappen and you look for the double podium. Or there's an approach where you go out all attack. But somehow Ferrari found themselves in a a muddy middle where their biggest fight in the end was an inter-team battle so how kyle could ferrari have won this race by having better tire wear <laughs> i think in their car is how they would have okay well won tell this you what, race. So, given what so, they had what could they have done to make more of a fight because uh, i feel there was so, more on the table if there was more of a fight if leclerc could have troubled verstappen a bit more and got near him but he couldn't really get near him the first opening bit of the race the opening salvos really was uh leclerc was looking quite weak he wasn't looking very good carlos throughout the whole weekend up until the point where the tyres started to go, was looking the stronger Ferrari driver in just about every sort of like bit, which which we haven't seen too much. Um, and also another thing why Ferrari were not 
um, too keen to pit early because like you, I was like, pit now. Surely you have to pit them now. Yeah. You have to pit them now was, we've just been talking about it. They know they're skinny on tires. So if they pit early, they're going to be even skinnier it's on tires. It's a two stop. The then it has the to be a two so stop. So they were damned okay. if they did, damned if they didn't, really. Okay. So I think we've identified then one thing Leclerc not being able to get close to Verstappen. So, number one thing that Ferrari could have done was have signs park on the apexes of chicanes, Matt. Just, just park up, park the bus. Well, I mean, the number one thing was Leclerc could have actually gotten his car out of gear a little bit quicker at the start and been in front of Max. Then we could be talking about signs pitting from the lead because if we just assume Leclerc does the same job as signs, that gives Max four or five laps to make whatever gap Carlos had managed to create while Leclerc was busy defending Max. So that would have changed the character. I felt the same way as as Kyle did. Like I, I'm like, why are you not putting, why are you not bringing in signs right now? Because the undercut was powerful and there was maybe two laps maybe two laps where he was within undercut range and it would have been a close fought thing for Max to get out ahead of him. But then you look at the end of the race and you look at like, say the lap times of the Williams and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'll actually give the Ferrari strategist this one. They brought Carlos in the moment they thought they could get to the end with decent high performance. So they did the, they did the right thing. Now, if you really want to wear tinfoil though, Yo, yes, ask yes, yourself, always. Ask yourself why, when we know Carlos is potentially talking to Audi, does he suddenly turn up in Monza <laughs> with the faster car and on the podium and not, not, I mean, like, I was surprised they didn't undercut him for Leclerc because it seems like that's been a trend in the last couple of races. Chris. Uh, so Leclerc <laughs> admitted that uh, he went in a slightly different direction initially on the setup in Friday practice um, and that it was the wrong uh, decision and uh, went back to it. So I guess had a bit less time to work with the car he was going to end up qualifying and racing um, with. And uh, that's partially what, you know, science was just quick out the blocks, wasn't he? And sort of maintained an advantage over Leclerc for the entire weekend. But what, what if, um, what if science uh, had been pushing so hard and chewing through his tires uh, while Leclerc was maybe saving them for a little bit later, because we see as soon as Science was uh, struggling with the tires, Leclerc was was all over him. So was it just uh, Leclerc playing the tires a little bit better? I think that is the actual case because Leclerc almost overcut Science. They were yeah. super close when they come out of the pit, so the undercut wasn't that powerful for Science. I know there was Bottas involved, but yeah, Leclerc almost jumped him out of the pit, so it shows he kept his tyres in better, and personally, if I was Ferrari, I as soon as Science had locked up and lost a position to Verstappen, it was obvious he was struggling. I would have instantly switched the cars and sent Leclerc to try to get into Verstappen's DRS and you can always switch the cars back later but Ferrari seem very reluctant to switch their drivers or impart any team orders on them whatsoever Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss Plus with a US based restoration specialist on your team you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans or other losses from identity theft alone all backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. 
This podcast is brought to you by Factor. Healthy eating made easy. Hi guys, Spanners here. I'm delighted to talk to you about our partner, Factor. So if you want healthy, chef-prepared, never-frozen, always-fresh meals with a 50% discount, stay tuned for a moment. I don't want to come across as lazy, but when I get in a work tunnel and my stomach says we're hungry, I generally need to sort that out immediately. My stomach is not a patient entity. It sends me round the corner for a hot dog. And yes, hot dogs are the greatest mustard delivery system on the planet, but it's not the calorie smart choice. Factor gives me calorie smart choices, protein plus choices, and even keto choices. And there's enough variety with 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get to your goals. It's got things like pancakes, it's got smoothies, midday bites, everything you need. No prep. That's the key one for me. No prep. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat. No prepping, cooking or cleanup needed. No mess means less to go wrong and it means I don't have to ask, whose fault is it? When certain people get upset at the state of the kitchen. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, good food with no cooking required. So, you want that 50% off? Now, when I say 50, it's the numbers 5-0. So, head to factormeals.com slash apex50 and use code apex50 to get 50% off. That's code apex50 at factormeals.com slash apex50 to get 50% off. Yeah, this is it. I don't, I don't think this is an out-and-out like situation where they... C- there's too much inter-team competition between the two. So, you know, we had the, the the attempt last season to get signs to move over and they kind of said, oh, Carlos, there has been a NASA meteor observation and we think a meteor might land at turn one. Maybe you just pull over a little bit and let Leclerc get hit by the meteor. And then, then he did, like, stop inventing, stop inventing. So they came up with all these crazy reasons. I don't think politically they have the freedom to go, Okay, one of you's going to be the dummy. We're going to deploy. We're going to pick Leclerc early, hold Verstappen up for Charles. I don't think that would that would work. So that's the problem, Matt, isn't it? I think there's no clear hierarchy. They can't deploy one against the other. And in fact, I wonder if Leclerc would have been more interested in saving his tires to then go for a later charge at signs than in playing any kind of you know team game. Well, now that is the question that you'd really like answered, isn't it? was their performance in reserve. Because, look, we saw what staying in front of Max did to Sainz's tires. And we saw how much faster Leclerc was. Was he, I mean, Kyle posed the question, do you think maybe Ferrari said, you know, you could go faster here and go after Max a little bit, make it easier on Carlos. And he's like, well, I don't know. This is as fast as my car can go right now. I'm 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 at I'm at the limit here. It feels like I'm at the limit on these tires. Knowing that he would then have a performance advantage he could use against his teammate, which to be fair, don't get me wrong here, I am delighted that we got to see them race like that. It made the whole thing so exciting. And uh I I just I just like in the back of your mind, you just sort of wonder, like, like how yeah. aware was Charles of this situation? I, I mean, think was very aware. What the, he he knows racing. He's been racing since he was, you know, he was in yeah. the womb. So if he <laughs> had put pressure on Max Verstappen in that first stint, 
he would actually risk letting Carlos Sainz get away and possibly hand him the win, hand him home glory. And that isn't... God, Ferrari's such a cutthroat environment that I actually... I believe this, Kyle. I believe that this could be what happened. Quite possibly. We know it's probably the highest pressurised sort of team in the paddock. The Italian press are savages when it comes to Ferrari. They're under a lot of pressure from the fans. Now, what I was actually thinking during this with... And they said it at the start on the commentary. They're like, there's two against one. We've seen this with Mercedes and Lewis yeah. before. With and the, Red Bull. The and Red, Red Bulls. Bulls yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, we've had it. So Ferrari, they could have been incredibly bold. They've got two cars. They could have pitted Leclerc super early when he was in third, put the pressure on Red Bull and committed early to the two-stop with Charles. So, yeah. Now, that, that was that... very risky. And, and the reason why I don't think they did it was they're at Monza. And if they're seen to make a horrible strategy gaffe, then I think they would have been ripped <laughs> to shreds by the Tifosi again. So I think they're a little bit cautious to be super bold with the strategy. But see, even then, like, so you're, you're it's like... The it's like a winger coming into the centre in soccer and like uh, you know getting the attention of a defender going out to the wing just to stretch the the defence. So that's what we're talking about is stretching the red ball defence. So if if Leclerc pits early, what does what does Verstappen do? Who does Verstappen cover off? Exactly that. Like mm. you would put them in this predicament of do we pit now to cover. Leclerc or do we stay out and, are, and we're having our race with Carlos it would have put Red Bull in a very difficult situation I think they would have stayed out and stuck to plan yeah. A because I think they had unbelievable confidence in their package and their driver to win come what may whatever happened but it would have been very interesting to see them with their backs against the wall having to make a tough decision like that okay interesting which driver pairing could you have deployed these tactics with because I don't think Russell plays ball don't think Hamilton plays ball uh, maybe you could do it with a, a Perez might have might have you know been deployed in this kind of way. There's actually very very few driver pairings where you could de- deploy this kind of 4D team thinking where one person has to be the sacrificial lamb. So we can't be too harsh on Ferrari, but it is interesting because there is there, there was more I think on on the table. But ultimately, obviously that that Verstappen pace is just you know otherworldly. Yeah, there's not a lot you could have done there. Um, Basically, in the Mercedes eras, you could have had a sacrificial Bottas and, like you said, a yeah, sacrificial yeah, yeah, Perez maybe yeah, yeah. would have been happened. But I don't think any of the teams uh, would have done that. And particularly, you know, you go through to McLaren, really looks like quite a good inter-team rivalry building up Ferrari, no way. Yeah, so the only ones, you need a very um, submissive number two, well, not even number two driver. You need a very submissive driver to be able to accept that, yeah, I think I'm being stitched up for the, <laughs> you know, to... To, to benefit my teammate. So yeah, we might have seen it in Mercedes last year when they knew they were backs up against the wall so far. But again, we saw George screaming to be put onto a different strategy. So I think you're right. There isn't many pairings that actually would you you would be able to do that with. Maybe Hulkenberg Magnussen suggests uh, Mark Bakker in our chat. Okay, let's move on to the the battle between the Ferrari guys at the end. So Carlos Sainz is ahead with the podium place and begging or suggesting that Ferrari... Let, let's bring it home, guys. Hey, 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 hey. What's all this aggro? Let's not go so get so aggy. We've all had our Gatorade. Let's just chill out and bring it home and let me get my podium unchallenged. So I that was a very that was a very necky and see-through radio request from Carlos Sainz when when Leclerc is obviously pushing. So I assume there is some agreement on paper that they are they are allowed to race, they're free to race. It was very aggressive from Leclerc. It was very defensive from Carlos Sainz. 
I think they were lucky in the end to get away with it. So, But can you imagine, Chris, the fallout? <laughs> Had Leclerc locked up, spun signs around, and they ended up in eighth and ninth or DNFing. And it was really close to that It was close to that well, happening. Particularly on the last lap when uh, Leclerc had done the, done the big lockup and he'd already a couple of laps before that locked the rears going into the first corner and slid his way through there as well. But what we ended up getting was a brilliant, intense fight between two it extremely was. talented teammates yeah. and uh, just unbelievable, great sporting action. And I'm really grateful to Ferrari <laughs> yeah. for allowing them to race like that and, yeah. and all race long as well because... Most teams would have shut that down pretty quickly. And that's no fun. We're here to have fun. Okay, so yeah. So watching that, you go, this is stupid and amazing. Yay, this is great. But what about, Kyle, if this is a championship situation? If they're fighting for a championship and they do this, and that's possible next season, pff, got to sort that out. Uh, yeah, well, they'll be taking each other off quite a lot, I think. <laughs> um, I was... I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Um, if I was the team principal, I would be absolutely furious uh, at Charles Leclerc because he was not in control. He was changing lines in a heavy braking zone, switching like from the inside to the outside, crossing right behind his teammates. So he's losing all of the load on his front wing as well. That was just absolute pure luck that he didn't just completely harpoon Science. Like I would like as soon as I see him lock up, I was like, oh dear, oh dear, here we go. It's like Baku with the Red Bulls again. Um, and I couldn't believe it. It Monza as well. So <laughs> if I was a team principal and uh, Leclerc coming back into the garage, I would probably would have, I don't know, got a tin of spaghetti, thrown it on the floor, and I was like, that that would have been you. <laughs> that would have been you if you had taken your teammate out. So uh <laughs> yeah, I would not be a happy team principal. <laughs> so uh, I think he's gonna wind up with a post-it on his steering wheel that says, This is not a go-kart. <laughs> uh, well, there's precedent to this with, um, you know, fight your teammates 2013. I think it was, you know, Malaysian Grand Prix and you've got Rosberg and Hamilton, both very hungry, trying to establish themselves as the, the principal in that team. And it was very much up for grabs at that point. And, and I think now with Sainz and, and Leclerc, it is kind of still up for grabs. Who's the number one? I think it is Leclerc. But you need that kind of who was it in the end at Mercedes who came on the radio and said, like, guys, you've got to chill. Who was it? It was, it was Ross, Ross Braun. Ross Braun. Yeah. Like, and as soon as his voice came over, stop now or you'll go in the naughty corner. It it did stop. But so Ferrari, like, I, like definitely as a fan, like, thank you for letting that continue. But surely you think Vasur should be on that radio. And, in, you know, instead of saying, you know, race safely somehow, it's like, OK, pistols at dawn, uh, but no shooting each other, uh, but fire. Yeah, it was ridiculous going, yeah, race safely at Monza for a podium. They were lucky. Yeah. Sometimes as a musician, you get to the end of the gig and you look at the person next to you and you're like, well, we got away with that one, didn't we? <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that's how the entirety of the Ferrari team felt because they, I hate to admit it, they stole pretty much they stole all the, show. the glory yes, from Red Bull it, yeah. today. And they didn't do it because... Leclerc took a signs out on the last lap. So I think maybe just chalk that one up in the wind column. And uh, yeah. But, but hey, hey, yeah. look, hey, look, this is a weekend, though. We're talking about Ferrari in, in broadly positive terms. And if you're a Ferrari fan, hello, bless you. Uh, <laughs> but you've not had the smoothest couple of decades. So to have your home Grand Prix where, you know, yes, you guys are the center of attention, a pole position, you're both your drivers racing fantastically and looking 
competitive and they they are briefly and I, I fear it is briefly you know they are looking like the second best team that takes a lot of pressure off that's something to, to you know to be excited about i would be stunned if that was the case in singapore i'd be stunned if that was the case in in suzuka particularly but yeah it's, you know it is a net positive for ferrari even though you know the one two chris was 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 sealed up they they essentially yeah. won the non red bull race yeah exactly and um yeah to your point about the races coming up i mean we've been talking about the ferrari low downforce package has been very good and i think that's probably why ferrari started the season as the second best team because you look at some of those those earlier races where it was about uh, straight line speed a lot of the time um and obviously we've seen the second place team form uh fluctuate an awful lot between several different uh teams uh at the start of this uh or throughout this whole season but when you look at the the races that are coming up you know singapore suzuka very high down force high speed well one high speed one low speed street track as well um yeah we're gonna see (laughs) some some fluctuation again in that uh battle That's the longest we've ever spoken about Ferrari for. So we do have to move on down the grid a little bit. If you're enjoying Missed Apex podcast, perhaps consider being a patron, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. All I would say is if you look at the iTunes charts or the Spotify charts, most of the podcasts now are big corporate entities. And the only podcasts that are in there really kicking ass and taking names are the ones that are Patreon supported. So you can affect the the podcast landscape by supporting independent content creators and we would dearly uh, love to add your name to our roster of fine patrons patreon.com forward slash missed apex we try and offer some perks although the main perk is the warm fluffy feeling that you're literally enabling us to keep doing this at the bottom tier there's an ad free feed in the the next tier up you get some extra content on a race weekend a lot more sort of slack uh, casual content and join our patron Slack forum as well. So patreon.com forward slash missed apex. And if you don't support us, I urge you just go and support some independent podcasts to make sure that we can keep podcasting just a small corner of it for independent content creators. And, uh, you know, it's been a while, Spanners, since I've come on here and done a push to subscribe to this <laughs> wonderful YouTube channel. Subscribe so to the YouTube. I'm just going to, hey, guys. We had guys, a good weekend. Come on. Guys, subscribe. Come on. What are you playing at? Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Why not? You get to see our, our faces. Look at look at Matt's face. Everybody thinks that Matt is like a huge, big, fat guy. That's the number one comment I get from people on the YouTube when they first check it out. They go, I assumed Matt was a big, fat guy. No, he's scrawny, if anything. Uh, come, come and see our faces on there. And if you're a YouTube viewer, do subscribe to the podcast as well so that if you're out and about, you've got the podcast version handy. All right everyone's second or third favorite team. In fact, here, I'll put it this way. Anyone who's been watching F1 for more than 20 years would probably list Williams as their one of their top three teams. I wonder how true that is. Do you think that's true, Kyle? You've been watching for a long time. Yeah, yeah I think that's true. Yeah. For a long time. Back in the day, they mm. were never really a team that I supported because <gasps> back in the mid-90s... You were Schumacher fan. I was, I'm, I, I wasn't still very much am a Schumacher <laughs> fan. So, but I appreciate Williams. I know their heritage. Yeah. And since they struggle 
now I've become more of a Williams fan because it's the underdog and I want to see him come oh. back up. And there isn't that many independents no, that's really true. left yeah. on the grid as well. So we need to support the garagistas. As the garagistas, that's the one. So, uh, the garagistas. So, yes, I am a Williams fan and I think it's wonderful to see them up there with a relatively decent car over a c- couple of consecutive races now. We're on totally different tracks as well. And uh, Sergeant was a bit unlucky today. I mean, even Sergeant in his rookie season, you know, is not that high rated driver. He's been doing a solid job as well. And that just shows how good their car is and their package. Yeah. And James Fowles' interview afterwards, I think even he's surprised. And I'm a big fan of James Fowles and what he's doing there. And it's nice to see Williams on the ascendancy. So, yes, I am a fan and I'm happy to see them do well. So the thing is, the, for those who I don't know how ubiquitous this is around the world, but in sport, Britain loves an underdog. We love an underdog story. The, the most popular boxer of the 90s was Frank Bruno. And that's basically because he kept just getting put on his ass, but being very nice about it. And so and we also have a lot of tall poppy syndrome in the UK as well. So as soon as someone gets big and famous, we're like, who do they think they are? And they just chop the head off the poppy. And so, so Williams are definitely a in that zone where they're now the plucky underdog. But when they were up there, it always seemed like they had good values, good racing, like a pure racing team. Now, I have been cutting people down for getting too excited about Williams. And I think part of that is I don't want to be, I don't want to, I don't want to expose myself to hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to expose myself to to too much hope uh, because 2014 was a kind of a false dawn for Williams. But I'm also aware, Matt, because you and me, you know, we're glued to every Friday practice session qualifying and stuff. We know Williams are a team that run close to their maximum on a Wednesday. You know, they're not sandbagging. Plus they're set up more for qualifying uh, than than the race and Monza is the track they would have earmarked at the beginning of the season to go this is the one to get a result but it is looking really 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 positive but you also have to be realistic about it well if we're going to be realistic about it Williams was the third fastest team today period nothing no pushback okay I mean I don't I can't agree. With, I don't agree. I was like, let him cook. I was letting you, you know, cook, man. They finished 40 seconds behind the Mercs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Third fastest team. Yeah, that's... Okay, Matt. Oh, sorry. Fourth fastest. Oh, <laughs> fourth fastest. Oh, he's changing it now. Oh, it was Stuart three. Yeah. Okay, okay. Sorry, so, sorry, fourth fastest. All right, well, that, I'll combine that. That is entirely my bad calculations, but admittedly behind the Ferrari and the Red Bull and Mercedes, I'm arguing Williams was fastest. Okay. Yes. Uh, so, well, they held off the McLaren, so I'm going to say fourth slash fifth. But Chris, make your point, and we'll let Matt justify it. Well, look, I think what's really encouraging for Williams as well is that these strong results now are starting to come on a, a variety of different tracks. Exactly, they yes. were very fast at Zandvoort, and probably Zandvoort and Monza are two tracks that are very nearly on the polar ends of the scale of what a track can be. One is all about the dirty downforce. The other one is all about the low drag. So the fact that they've been very competitive on both these circuits suggests there is a genuine overall form uh, increase, improvement happening in that team now. Yeah. Uh, well, this is it, Matt. Procedurally, they are um, they are bang on. Pit stops, qualifying, traffic management, stint plan, strategy... Regardless of their car, they are they're getting all the little things right. 
Well, they're getting most of the little things right. Like, I, I don't quite know what happened in qualifying for Sargent yesterday. I don't know if that was a Sargent problem or a team problem. With uh, it, There was something with a medium tire that I thought I saw people talking about. But let's talk about this instead. The plan from the start, and we know this from Alex Albin's post-race interview, was basically, I'm going to drive a McLaren train today. And he went out and did exactly that. And more to the point, and most impressively, and I think Albon is part of the big Williams resurgence because he is just so very, very, very likable while being incredibly cutthroat on the track. Uh, 38 laps on the hard tire. I was like, well, yeah, I know Max, I know Carlos, but let's face it, 38 laps in a Williams on the hard tire and Norris can't get by you? Well, I think that deserves some sort of award. And I thought that until I saw that Sargent also did 38 laps on the hard tire. And actually, on the, on the one-stop strategy, the only person to gain as many places during the race was Perez. And the only reason he wound up losing some of those places is because he was in that fight with Botas and they had contact and he got a five-second penalty. But I think Sargent, being able to gain that many places on hard tires that old, even in a Williams at Monza, it's like they they the car has got something cooking for it that it's not had in previous years when it's just been fast in a straight line. They have found some element of balance that honestly I think mimics Red Bull a lot. And, you know, now that Otmar is not at Alpine anymore, I'm also hearing rumors that some of the Red Bull engineers that might have been going to Alpine might be changing course and heading to a team that starts with a W. I don't know which one that could be. Williams. I think it's Williams, Kyle. <laughs> well, one one could think. Now that's a, that's a little golden nugget of information yeah, that I was not aware of. So that's quite um, that's quite a good one, and it kind of aligns with what James Vowles has recently come out and said. He goes, "We are just about to poach a lot of good staff from good teams as well." So they're putting resurgence, and the thing with Williams and resurgence is, and James Vowles said this when he went there was. They're probably about 20 years behind in development um, philosophy and how they go about. They're a small sort of um, family team, if you would. But um, with the cost cap, it's really hard to claw back some of this. So he said they're not actually looking at this year or next year. It's the sort of 2026 we're kind of looking at and trying to get the infrastructure in place so we can function as an elite team. But as Matt said, they've found something with this car where it's now suddenly pretty decent in the corners because Zandvoort I don't think any of them could explain why they were quick there I think Albon even just come straight out and said it he goes we're fast but we don't know why so yeah. it obviously means <laughs> the car is working in the corners and they turned up expecting to struggle and they were really really quick there so it's going to be fascinating to see what they do at uh, Singapore because Albon has constantly displayed this ability to get tires to the end and 38 laps on the hard tires is impressive but what's even more impressive because it's in the Williams was they're running next to no downforce. So that means you slide around more and you load and overwork the tires more. So the fact that he can go the longest that anyone on the hard tires with a lower downforce setup just goes, well, I don't, I don't know whether that's a great sort of nod to his driving to the car or a bit of both. I'd probably say a bit of both. Okay. So Matt, can we at least agree, right? So expectation management, because I, I, I desperately want Williams to do, to do well. So I would say, that regularly getting at the lower end of the points constitutes success. So they keep popping up like P1, P2 in Friday practice, or they get a qualifying where they pop up, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth. That's all fine and well, but I'm looking at Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. 
So if they're getting a point, two points on a Sunday, that to me is a bar of success for the Williams. I really, I don't care about Friday Williams. I don't care where they are on the grid. I want to see them at the, the, at the checkered flag in the points. Well, I understand this. Much like me in bike racing, when I had long climbs, my strategy was always to be at the very front of the race, at the bottom of the climb, and then slowly pedal backwards and hopefully still be in touch with the field at <laughs> oh, the top. So the reason we see Williams fast on a Friday mm. is their qualifying strategy is how far up the grid can I start? And then how many places can I manage to not lose? Uh, oh, maybe wow. hang on for a point. So so I understand why you could be misled by their Friday strategy. But, yeah. but I'm pretty convinced that's that's been the plan all season long. And what I love about it is, is, is Kyle says, is with the balance they have found in this car, their tire wear has improved to the point where, and especially at a track like Monza, where your defending skills can really matter for something. And we saw this with signs too, is this is a rare track where if you are good at defense, you can hold off some of those faster cars, especially if you've mm. gone into it understanding that's your brief. Sure. And and we saw Albin do it. We saw Science do it. And I love, actually, did anyone else catch this? And this is the last thing I'm going to say about Albin, because I've long been a fan, as you know. But after the race, um, and maybe this is a bigger turn one debate, but after the race, he and Norris were being interviewed together on F1 TV. And he's like, oh, and, and Norris was was gently, you know, because they're friends off the track, you know, saying, well, you just totally pushed me off there that time. I had the run and Alvin's like, oh, he's like, did you like, he says, did you like, like, like the way that I braked super early then for turn two and turned extra wide. So it would look like I actually gave you space. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm like, thank you, Alex. Thank you for making my whole post race better with that comment. Amazing. So maybe it is a valid tactic then. just get as far as you can up ahead and uh, and hang on. And if you'll, uh, those of you who watched the remain indoors podcast during lockdown, you remember Lauren Thomas, our runner, and she used to say, uh, when I set off on a 5K, I'd start, I'd set off like an eight-year-old chasing an ice cream van. And then, and then it would be a case of trying to cling on and not die for the rest of the 5K. So, okay, I'll appreciate that tactic. That will work very well if they can get up ahead, say, in Singapore and get a good qualifying. That might bode very, very well at a race where basically tire wear is not an issue because everyone just parks the bus waiting for that one-stop window. Okay, I think the final big point, guys, is probably McLaren versus Mercedes. So uh, some interesting things bubbling in McLaren, and I'm, I'm loving the growing dynamic between Norris and this very, very promising rookie. And obviously we can have a little look at the, the tactics Mercedes used for Hamilton. Uh, Russell had a bit more of a straightforward race up front and uh, probably got the maximum out of what Mercedes could, could do over the weekend. Obviously, Lewis Hamilton... With yet another disappointing qualifying, Chris. I think I think that maybe we start yeah. there. But what what's going on with Hamilton? Their approach to qualifying seems to just have have them being nowhere in not just Q three. Like every session, Hamilton looks at risk of going out at the moment. It was a real struggle, wasn't it? And uh, yeah, we say this is the McLaren versus Mercedes segment. It's really McLaren versus Lewis Hamilton mm. uh, because, as you say, Russell yeah, was he did the job. He gone, yeah. Yeah, actually challenging with uh, Checo uh, for, for fourth. Um, whereas 
Whereas Lewis, every time he went on board with him in qualifying, he's ringing in the the neck of that thing and really struggling to tame the rear end. And uh, so I don't know if in a bid to uh, cut the drag down, because we know they're struggling for straight line speed still, uh, they've got it to a point where it was just becoming a bit of a dog to drive. And, you know, we, we saw they were flip-flopping on setups and rear wings in Friday practice. Um, and it was just a general struggle and maybe indicates that they still haven't quite got the, the finger down on how to extract the maximum from, from this car, which we know is still not in the place where it needs to be. And they're still not extracting the most from it. So I think going for the alternate tire strategy today was probably. All right, here we go. I know you disagree oh, with this, Spanish, but I don't see okay. where, how much higher was Lewis uh, going to get on a regular street? It literally sixth was okay. the best he was so, ever going to get today. Okay. And I, he got it. Maybe you're right, but let me, let me lay out then. Cause me, no, and, Matt have, right. me and Matt have argued about this. So, Sadly, it's true. Chris is right. So to me, it's sad when you see that ultimate strategy. It means something's gone wrong in qualifying, right? And and now we're seeing oh, yeah. Hamilton on the alternate strategy too often because something's gone gone wrong in qualifying. And you know, it's it's you know it's only been the last maybe like three or four out of you know the last six races. But you you see that out of place car going onto the harder tire to go long to hope for a safety car in their safety car window between the softer tire going off and pitting and and then being able to stretch out, out on the harder tire. But you look at Lewis Hamilton, who wants downforce, 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 downforce. That's always what he wants. That's always what he's going for. Perhaps why he loses a little bit in qualifying and is a bit better in the race. But since 2015, he seems to have always gone for that. So you see Lewis Hamilton, it's Monza. He's probably running a bit too much downforce anyway. He's going to go on the hard tyre, so he's going to get stuck. And this is this is all pre-race. This is the rant I was having in our WhatsApp group. So he's going to lose off, off of the grid because he's got a harder tyre than everybody else around him. Then he's stuck behind cars. Unless he's in ultra tyre-saving mode, he's not going to be able to attack them. So the only option has to be he's got to go to lap 48. And, and what do you call it, Carl? You call it goal-hanging. that. You'd have to use the yeah. goal-hanging tactic that Russell did so effectively last season. But they didn't even do that. He ran seven laps only longer than, than Norris and Piastri. Yeah, I think they had that window. And yeah, as I, th- I think I said in the group chat, I was like, right, goal-hang time. They're going to stay there for as long as possible. But the numbers just weren't adding up. And they could see uh, they were losing touch with the McLarens. We're going to be so far out of their window. So their thinking behind doing the alternate tyre strategy was they knew they didn't have great pace. They knew they didn't have great straight line speed. So if it's status quo and on the same tyres as the cars in front, they were probably going to get stuck anyway. So that so, so their whole power play was like the last 15 laps pretty much was having a good tyre offset there to allow Lewis to overtake. And on that sense, you have to say that it, it did actually work, but they were fully aware they were going to take some pain in the beginning. Lewis managed to do a good job, minimise that pain. Yes, he lost a position, but I don't think he actually, it could have been a lot worse. If he, if Alonso would have slipped ahead of him, then it would have been bad. And then when he actually made his stop and come out behind Alonso, because they were goal hanging for seven laps, he managed to dispatch of him almost immediately. And I think that was the key point to him allowing, okay. him, allowing him to use that tire offset. So I think it was the correct strategy. Now, if it started up with Russell, and if he started where he probably should have started, then yes, it probably would have been a bad move. But I think for where he was, because he gaffed quality, it was a good move, in my opinion. Okay, but Chris, why not just Mm. put the mediums on and go racing? 
go take on right, the McLarens. Because... Take on the McLarens. Pass Albon. Do do the race. Why 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 flip flop? If the baseline is, if he'd have got away on the medium, he doesn't get passed by Norris necessarily. He's now fighting Piastri, and then yeah, maybe a bit of a struggle behind Albon, but then tire safe there. Not start your whole strategy waiting for both McLarens to get out of your way and and then fight forward. The the race was gone by the time he was on a decent tire. Spanners, you sound like such a millennial right now because <laughs> okay. you're all about that instant gratification. <laughs> yeah, I want and it now. you're not I want seeing it now. the fact that this As strategy was Z-lenial. all about the last third of the race, uh... right? I think and I think the team realized this as well, which is why they went for this strategy, that in a pure head-to-head, they were really, really going to struggle getting around the McLarens and especially the Williams because they know they've got one of the slowest oh, cars okay, counter. in a straight line. Immediate counter. So, Quickly on that, before you move on to another point, because you're all making lots of points at once. It's not. It's the okay, same point. So, no, hang on. So Hamilton on the hards was right up behind Norris. Didn't have that final thing to get past on turn one, but he spent most of that first stint well within DRS, 0.5, 0.6 seconds. Are you really telling me on a step softer tyre, he wouldn't have had a chance of overtaking the McLaren, of overtaking Piastri? Because he might not have had to overtake Norris. Maybe. I mean, the, the team clearly thought that they couldn't. And when the, he had the fresher, the softer tyre as well, towards the end of the race, it made his job significantly easier. And they ended up getting to the place where they were going to end up anyway. So the, it was all about looking at that last third of the race where they can utilize the better tires. So I'm just going to put it to you this way. Y- y- you fancy the odd wager, do you not, Spanners? Uh, I've been known to have a flutter. Which would you bet on? Hamilton on medium tires, passing Norris um, and Albin at the end of the race, or Hamilton on the same tire at the start, passing yeah. Norris, Piastri, and Albon. Because if he doesn't do that, his medium tire strategy is simply not going to work. And I just mm. wager that the um, my personal bet is that the Mercedes strategist took a look at who was starting in yeah. front of him and said, uh, it's just not going to be feasible. And I'll back that up quickly with the evidence of, would you agree that Perez was faster than Russell in this race? Sure. How many laps did it take Perez to pass Russell? On the same tire. <laughs> okay, okay, but... The, 16, that's how many. There's another factor there, which is, I was <laughs> going to bring this up in the Red Bull section. Kyle, okay. I'll go to Kyle for this. Kyle, I, you know I'm a Perez fan. Mm-hmm. He is not the last of the late breakers, and he's not the best aggressive overtaker. No, but since he's been in Red Bull, he has been a bit dive bomby. <laughs> All like, I'm saying is... up the inside and cry victim nutter style. Like I, he has I, done okay. a few of those. Okay, but I will say... All I'll say is... The defence, well, Perez couldn't do it, therefore Hamilton couldn't. I won't accept that. I think Hamilton's a better overtaker. I think Hamilton's better on the brakes. That would be my small counter to that, Matt. Uh, but look, look, it's it's a gamble either way, but surely back yourself to get through three cars that have slower lap times than you and then start your race. The gamble they took was, let's let's gamble that we sit behind them and then we'll eventually get them towards the end of the race so like worst case scenario they don't get them on the mediums but but you know even like are you saying that mercedes don't think they've got better tire wear than the mclarens and the and the williams are you, are you telling me that mercedes didn't think that they could wait for their rears to go off and, and then you know go past are you saying that mercedes don't think that they could undercut at some point 
and overtake on a fast outlap or two. That that shows no confidence whatsoever. That's that's all, and this is what I'm saying. Going for this hard tactic shows a team that that isn't attacking. That's not an attacking strategy, Kyle. At least at yeah. least validate my insane rantings a little. <laughs> well, I think I think that is exactly how they feel. They are not very confident because they have this compromised bit of a hodgepodge of a car. They know that they're going to struggle. They've essentially written off the rest of this year. Um, for like for this car and they knew this was going to be a week round for them so probably sitting in the team brief before the race started they were they were going to give Hamilton and you know Hamilton and George Russell would have been sitting there with all the engineers going through the strategy options and Hamilton probably would have agreed with this because I'm pretty sure he would have felt that if I'm on status quo on the same tyres I don't have the car underneath me to be able to affect a pass and to be able to get past them. So that's why I genuinely believe that their confidence is low. This is not the mercurial, the amazing Mercedes of before. This is a very compromised Mercedes car. And I think they are treating it as such. To be fair, Monza... Monza isn't gonna, wasn't ever going to be like their track in these circumstances with the car they have. Paddy says, uh, the thing is, uh, Perez, for Perez, no one would get out of his way. So how is he supposed to get by? Yeah, he did have that... He did have that bit of a rant, like, they're not giving me any room. Yes, it's called defending. It's called defending. Like, you've, that's your job is to, is to then get past them. Uh, I don't think the Ferraris... That was a good little battle, though, wasn't it, with the Ferraris and, um, and Perez, Chris? And, um, yeah, Perez had a clear car advantage, but it was yeah. a good scrap. Oh, my favourite Perez moment was the, uh, I've locked up and gone, right, oh, he pushed me off. Love it. Classic racing driver. <laughs> I do like that he used all three of his off tracks in these various maneuvers and trying to play the refs over the radio and that they just, they, they simply refused. They refused to bite on any of his complaints about being shoved off track. Speaking Which, of being shoved off track. Yeah. Whose fault is it? Okay, so on lap something, 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 uh, <laughs> uh, Lewis Hamilton and... Uh, Piastri had two consecutive battles at the chicane that we couldn't remember the name of, but it's basically turned three and four after Curve Bella Eight. Bella Rogia. What? Bella oh. Rogia. Doesn't sound right. <laughs> nah, it can't be that. Uh, let's call yeah. it Corner Three and Corner Four. So oh, no, after... it's actually four and five. Is Curve uh, Grande? Is that counted as turn three? Turns, is but that aside turn... from that, you got it. How's that? How's that counted as a turn? Because it's a turn it's a lean it's a lean at most i do like curva grande but um, i believe it's a corner i believe i agree i agree it's a very slight corner so after the slight inconvenience of curva uh minimum so they go down to turn four and five now so uh the first one was piastri just just ran hamilton wide kyle so this was almost like a very scaled down version of brazil 2021 where Piastri is defending on the inside successfully, but then he doesn't make the corner. Why wasn't that a penalty? Uh, yeah, well, we've seen a bit of this. And yeah, well, we've seen a bit of a dangerous precedent set in 2021 in Brazil, ironically in turn four as well. Um, so yeah, I, I think they, and after 2021, no one really knew what was right and wrong anymore. And we have these quite odd sort of racing rules now that if you are not ahead at the apex, you're essentially not worthy of any room whatsoever yeah. which i still thoroughly disagree with um but it is what it is and the fa and the governing body have backed themselves into a corner over this so um yeah they both got in super super hot but neither of them won or lost as a result because i don't think hamilton was as far enough alongside 
in you know by the wording of the rules to warrant space so i think they just let that one slip yeah but that's going to make hamilton slightly a bit peeved if i was hamilton i'd be a little bit annoyed you've just essentially been shoved off and then they come to their second little uh kerfuffle where yeah uh and fair play to hamilton he owned it he owned it he took it on the chin he owned it and massive kudos to piastri for how mature he was after the race he spoke like he's been in grand prix racing for multiple decades and he was like he apologized he said it was his fault uh can't really ask for more than that it is what it is what a very wise head he has on his shoulders. Yeah, the uh, the first one where Piastri just skates across the runoff area himself and fails to lose a place, which is kind of the guilty uh, part of it. Um, it. It's it's really it's really awkward because you're constantly having to look at oh who was slightly ahead at this point and who was slightly ahead when they got to this bit of the corner in the braking zone and all this and you know a lot of the time they tend to just let sleeping dogs lie and forget about it but then um i think i remember we were talking about this in suzuka last year weren't we with leclerc and um uh, perez yeah on the last lap and complaining about that you know not being handled correctly either uh so i can see why they forgive it i mean it's it's quite hard to definitively say you've done something wrong in that moment even though we we all kind of are sitting there thinking "Uh, well it's not great uh but the definitely the second one 100 lewis's fault yeah really clumsy moment so let's go to that done and it was so unnecessary but he did hold his hands up let's go to that that second one so obviously you come around curva grande and then and then people naturally take their line on the right hand side Now, my personal view is that you should always have room on the inside. And there's there's lots of uh, times during F1 where we've discussed rules where there's specific reference to how much room you should be left on the outside of a a braking zone. So a, a car, for example, a defending car on a straight... Now, and, and this one was you know, one of the rare moments of clarity we've had with rules. So you can defend the inside. So you can move to the inside to defend. And then you can go back out to resume your racing line so long as you leave a car's width on the outside for the attacking car. So once you've made that move to the inside, that's your one move. You are then allowed to resume the racing line, but if you don't leave a car's width, that's adjudged as, as two moves. So then that's weaving and that's, that's blocking. So here, I think it's clear, if, if Lewis Hamilton is moving to the outside, it, it feels like you definitely have to leave a car's width, and he didn't do that, so that, mm-hmm. that's perfectly fine to me, that's a penalty. The two things, Matt, that give us a little bit of uh, a pause to, to to think is that his car position was the same as Leclerc in 2019, and that was a black and white flag, and we were very unhappy about that at, at the time. And then the other point that you've made so very well in the past is what constitutes a car's width? Is it a car's width to the line? Is it a car's width of usable runoff area? Well, in this case, I'm going to argue that Lewis absolutely left a car's width, but the problem was he didn't leave a car plus a wheel's width of room for Oscar to exist in. And I think the reason that they drew the line where they did is because unlike many tracks, the other side of where Oscar's uh, right-hand tires were was grass, which is, and so, so he was, there was no room left for Oscar to give at that point. And because of the overlap, there was no way for him to back out of it either. The the wheels were overlapped and it was the only way that would have worked is if Oscar could 
perfectly have predicted Lewis's breaking point and braked absolutely in, in uh, synchronicity with him. And that's just yeah. not really a thing that's ever going to happen in two different cars. Chris, then Kyle. Ultimately, he's moved into the space that Piastri is in. So if we were going to borrow Bradley Philpott's lane system, for example, yeah. he's moved into you, Piastri's You can't move lane. into a place where a car already exists. Yeah. yeah. But the thing, uh, the thing as well is you brought up 2019. Leclerc did the same thing again to Perez today. And I think the reason that never even got looked at, as far as Monza, I can remember, Monza, Monza, Monza. is, well... Let's also let's also consider the fact that uh, Perez uh, did he even use the runoff or did, did, you know he gathered it up pretty quickly. The difference in the Piastri incident is Piastri was left with a broken front wing, and I think this is another case oh, of like us it. looking at the result of an incident rather than the crime itself. Kyle, that's exactly what I was just about to say. I think if Piastri would have got away without any damage, then I don't think it would have been a penalty. So it shouldn't be this way, but they definitely do take the outcome into consideration. Look at Silverstone 21. Um, Lewis got a 10-second penalty, which is very rare. You don't really see them. You usually just get five-second penalties for this. And as you said, Leclerc did exactly the same thing as he did in 2019 to Perez. There was a tiny bit of contact. and yeah, so if he hadn't have broken Piastri's front wing, I think it would have been okay. Uh, in Lewis's defence, Piastri did have a tiny bit of room left on the outside. Um, but yeah, Lewis, he, he held his hands okay. up. And you know, as it's corner, you've driven it in the sim, you've gone there and you're yeah. looking into the corner breaking zone and he's just drifted over and not realised yeah. he's done it. A bit clumsy, a bit like Spa last year, a bit of a clumsy, clumsy move from Lewis there. So uh, just to set precedent for the for the future... I, I don't think Piastri having room to move to the outside vindicates Hamilton in any way, no. shape or form because Piastri can pick his line on the outside. So Piastri could have had half a car's width to the right-hand side. If Lewis moves into him, that's 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 Lewis's fault. Like Piastri doesn't have to go, oh, Hamilton's coming over. I'd best use every single available inch to me. Like he doesn't have to do that. So that like... That, yeah, so you definitely trying to go, well, well, Piastri should have moved more to the right. So in future, like if we see an incident where there's a car defending and just he, they stay in the middle of the track so that the inside car can't move to the outside. And this is something, Carl, we've talked about in our iRacing yeah. series. I always test it out in practice and I've done this to you in go-karting as well. You move yep. to the outside of one corner and then let's say in a chicane and then you're expected to move out to the other side and I just hold my ground in the middle of the track and let the other car hit me, which is fine in carts and sim racing. Wouldn't want to do it in an F1 car, but that car in the middle of the road is entitled to hold their line. Absolutely. They are dictating what's going to happen. And I use this tactic myself a lot, plant myself in the middle of the road, let them choose and then pin them in the most awkward position yeah. that you possibly yeah. can. I mean, all of this is happening at 200 miles an hour for these guys. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a big bit of a fear factor. So yeah, I think it's slam dunk Lewis's fault. Um, and the penalty was just in my opinion. Chris. Uh, well, we're really looking forward to seeing the comments of the one-time viewers who think we're an anti-Hamilton <laughs> show now. That happens. It does happen. Sorry, Matt. Yeah. I know you were trying to get in there. Well, no, I just think to the larger point of car positioning, uh, one of my favorite moments, and this is along the lines of what Kyle was already addressing, is we saw a lot of defending into turn one. There's people on the inside making the attacking car go outside, and then they would come back, as Kyle mentioned, and take the racing line. But I think there was one time, and Perez got on the radio and howled about it, that signs essentially 
had him moved a little further over than the absolute most inside line and just simply waited longer to break before he turned into yeah. turn one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, valid. And and yeah. and and made Perez have to wait even longer and and go off track. And he got on the radio and was very furious about it. But there's nothing wrong with that if you've put yourself in that position and the other driver has chosen to go outside of you. Yeah, they have to wait for you to turn into that corner. It's Austria 2015 yes, all is, over isn't again, it? isn't it? Rosberg versus Hamilton. Are you? Yes, it's 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 frustrating if there's a block pass. But I think, yeah, all the way to the point where there is literally no room for you to go to the outside. You have to wait. And this is the same Silverstone 2021. And it's the same whether it's Hamilton, Leclerc, uh, or whether it's uh, Latifi. Let's get this one thing clear, if you're listening. You are not obliged as the inside car to take the apex. You're not obliged as the outside car to be all the way to the outside. It's it's a little bit more uh, nuanced than that. So I think we are actually about to head off into... Awards. Despite the Verstappen dominance that I totally love, by the way, I think it's actually a good thing for the sport that Verstappen is dominating. And I'm just appreciating those records. And that, of course, is the line being pushed by the FIA and accredited media. Not all, but but dozens of them all posting simultaneous articles off the cuff about how actually it's not boring at all and it's not a sign of anything wrong with F1. It's actually a good thing and you're witnessing history in the making. Well, do you know what? There's a medium point to that. We are absolutely witnessing excellence. Whilst I don't put any credence in the 10 in a row stat, if they had somehow had a second place or a DNF five races ago... I think that this would still be an incredible, incredible run. So we're sort of in a situation in a, like a family game of Monopoly where somebody has done so well, they, they own all the reds, all the, all the purples and all the greens and everyone knows they're going to win, yet the, 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 the over-eager 13-year-old is still rubbing their hands with glee when you land on Mayfair and, and they want to quit. I can't afford the rent. Yes, you can. You can sell me the train stations. All right. Oh, 800 for the train stations. No, 200. That's the point of the game that we're at. Everyone knows it's over, but you still have to roll the dice for another 10 turns. Enjoy that midfield battle. If the rest of the season is like the Monza Grand Prix, that will ease the pain, predictability of one team being ahead. But, you know, it's right. Look, Matt, this is sporting excellence. This is Michael Jordan. This is Michael Schumacher. This is uh, this is uh, Kevin Peterson. You know, this is who's the tennis players. I don't really keep up with it. Uh, Sam it Pras. This is Sam Pras. This is Agassi. We do, we do have to appreciate sporting excellence, but that doesn't mean that we can't also acknowledge that it's it's not the best, most fun thing in the world to watch. It can be very boring. The Ferrari battle was far more exciting to watch today than Max winning his 10th in a row. But as a side note to that, it's very easy to just sort of write that off as a look at the car. And then, you know, I mean, look at look, look at Leclerc fighting signs versus Perez fighting for Stappen. And there's a reason why we see Max winning 10 in a row, which I think is sort of the way Toto went with it. I disagree. Because if you look into it, don't forget, they had an issue today that might have ended Max's race before he got to the finish line. 
don't forget how many of those wins that he had in a row came in wildly mixed conditions and he won anyway. Two. So there have been eight mixed condition races, haven't there? Yeah. There's been but... rain every week. Oh, did the other cars not have those mixed conditions? I'm just saying mixed mm. conditions reduces the advantage of power yeah, yeah, and yeah. downforce pretty significantly, which is why you see occasionally the minnows winning in those conditions, like Hungary, for example, or Monza, when we had the wild safety car with Gasly. Uh, but I, I just put it out there. It's more of an achievement than it seems because Max hasn't had the same kind of competition that that we've seen you know happening at ferrari but that makes it no less an achievement and especially no less an engineering achievement and achievement and that's what i want to drive home is that it's not just max here it's the whole team they have done something incredibly special and as boring as it is for them to do that special thing we should still recognize and honor that achievement i agree um i think it's pretty amazing what they are doing and if anything Zandvoort last weekend was the chart was the time for him to drop the ball. It threw everything at him that could have potentially thrown at him to not win, and he still kept calm and looked like he waltzed to the win when it was really, really challenging. Now it's got to the point now with me that yes, it's not great to see dominance. You want to see a good fight at the front, but with for me, it's kind of gone over the edge now, and I kind yeah, of want yeah, yeah. them to go through and win every the rest of the races because I don't sure. think we're going to see this ever yeah. again, really. Yeah, so yeah, I was yeah. like, they've come so far, I want them to now finish the job and just go through and just dominate the entire series uh, season because I don't think we'll ever possibly see a chance for somebody to do that again because I'm pretty sure next year when Mercedes start afresh, Ferrari maybe stop Ferrari well, maybe so Ferrari. much. No. Um, yeah, yeah, and McLaren on a trajectory that I don't think Red Bull are going to be... <laughs> okay in a position to be that dominant next year. So I want them to get the job okay, done and just Chris. dominate the rest of the season. Uh, somehow there are still eight races left in this season. I cannot believe. Is that all? But one oh. thing, uh, one thing I kind of want to do at the end of the season is do a season review that acts as if Max Verstappen oh, didn't exist. We can do that. We can do that. And so we'll look at it <laughs> as if, you know, Red Bull are running one car and we'll just look at it yeah, and it's you know, not it's not on pure points way. either. You'd have to go race by race and just remove it, their influence yeah, correctly, yeah, move the grid positions exactly. up. Okay, cool, cool. We'll do it where we explain each race as if Max Verstappen wasn't there. Okay, cool. We we can absolutely do that. But first, right, let's sweet. give out some awards. Let's start off all positive in that with the good thing award. All right, let's look at our panel. You need to follow all of these guys on our social media. Here's Chris. Hey. He. Yes, he startles easily, but he returns with momentum. He is at Chris on Racing on Twitter. You should definitely go and follow him there. So, because um, I, I know this is going to be the last show I'll do for uh, a few weeks, um, I have big news coming in okay. the next couple of weeks. Okay, is it now? If it's not now, stop talking about it. If no, it, if... Well, I just want to tease it. No, make there's sure no you tease. Guys are following at Chris on Racing. Oh. Uh, so I'm. Very excited. What's the good thing award, Chris? Oh, for me is is Carlos Sainz, one hundred percent. It might be the easy picking, and you know I'll go first and just get him out of the way because he provided ninety nine percent of the entertainment in that race. Yeah, and, I agree. Uh, you know, you, even if he he didn't, um, you know, give give maybe Leclerc a chance to go off to second place or something, um, or you know he stretched the definition of defending rules in this race. But goddamn, it was good TV. Okay, excellent. And uh, does Carlos Sainz's hair look better at Monza? 
Like somehow, every time we get to Monza, there's always a shot of his magnificent hair. And speaking of which, I mean, you've often been called uh, the motorsport Jesus, Kyle, because of your flowing locks, your wisdom, and that's one heck of a beard as well. Okay, uh, at Kyle Power F one on Twitter, yes. yeah, and that and your, we'll also list your home address because follow Kyle around. His antics are wild. We can't share them here. Uh, who was your good thing award for the weekend? Well, I was going to go for the obvious one, which I'm not going to say because I'm pretty sure someone else will choose it of what happened on Saturday. But my good thing of the weekend was the DRS acting and being as effective as it always was planned to be. It's one of the first times we've ever seen it actually operate as it should do. So that's my good thing of the weekend. Yeah. And you know what? The F1 has never been more active in being responsive to what actually makes good racing and things that they can they can change. And it's like in the past, I think they would have just gone, you know, paid it lip service, whereas now they are actively looking to tweak these things. So like being more adaptable on uh, on the DRS zones, as you've said, but also it feels like they're listening with the, the, the tyres as well. It looks like they're they're trying to pick, you know, not ultra conservative tyre sets and they're being less scared to pick, you know, the, the softer sets of well, as well. So that's good. Uh, Matt, two rumpets. What gets your good thing award? Well, <clears throat> you know, I think Kyle was possibly referencing the alternative tire allotment that meant we had softer compounds this weekend, which made it interesting. We saw a two stop from some teams and one stop from the other. It was all fun. But I'm really, I'm just going to go back to, I'm going to go back to Alex Alvin and Williams. I mean, they showed up and it's just hard to overstate getting that car with its not great tire management to do 38 acceptable laps and keep the McLarens behind you is just, I think it's a really impressive achievement for Alex. And so I just, I kind of want to put it out there that Williams are are, are starting to impress me a little bit. And so I'm going to give them my good thing award while acknowledging there were loads of other good things this weekend. I'm going to go for a rookie fest for my good things. So firstly, Lawson, 2-0. 2-0 to New Zealand. So obviously, Sonoda, desperately unlucky pre-race. He was unlucky in the last race as well. Uh, but Lawson has basically flown under the radar, which is good. You know, it's good, isn't it, Kyle? Because we, we've said with a lot of the rookies, like, stop appearing on our screens. Like, I need to not hear from Sargent for a couple of races. Okay, so this race ticks that. But Lawson didn't hear about him this race, and that's good. Yeah, that's also good. And he also did an amazing job i just you just suddenly jogged my memory we haven't really spoken about <laughs> liam lawson and he did a two-stop strategy as well which is rare for monza and was 11th and he actually sounded gutted to not get points at the end like genuinely <laughs> gutted. p11 so what a, p11 what a great job yeah. yeah yeah p11 is that car's best finish of the year is it wow. yeah so it better is. than anything defreeze did better than anything ricardo whoa, 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 did. yeah but sonoda's finished p11 a couple of times no, no, but as in that car. Oh, I see. Okay, so that entry. There you go. That's the yes. phrase, that entry. Okay, that's good. If we're, if we're being kind, he was also only a tenth and a half off Sunoda in qualifying. That's, which is, again, very, very good. Yeah. And then the other rookie is Piastri. My goodness. So Piastri, he has got a hell of a benchmark in F1. So from a reputation point of view, if you go and beat Norris, which he sort of did over the course of the weekend bar getting mugged by Hamilton... That is a notch in his bedpost, if you like. Uh, a, a, a snick on the tree. I don't know what the kids say now. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what about that, 
that those two as well. Obviously, we saw the first flashpoint maybe where they had a contact. Oh yeah, for, uh, I forgot about that. Time. Yeah, Norris was and quite aggressive on the turning into turn one, and it's all yeah. because they brought Norris in first, even though he was behind. Oh, and yeah. I would be a bit miffed about that. Good, this point. is not the first time, the first time either. This is not the first time, <laughs> <laughs> Kyle. Yeah, it's the same. Got echo in here. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how that mm. unfolds. I don't blame the team for prioritising Norris at the moment, but it is close, isn't it? It is getting close, and I just I really wonder how Norris will react to sustained pressure from from Piastri and how Piastri plays it. Okay, now we get to be negative. Oh no, you missed the apex. All right then, we are armchair critics, and we know that. We know we couldn't call a good strategy in real time or drive a car. car Kyle can sort of vaguely drive a go-kart, kind of good. But yet we allow ourselves the license to criticise in this segment. And I think we have an audience contract that also allows us to do that. So you, you listening have validated this. This is your fault. So, Kyle, who missed the apex for you? There is... An AA meeting happening, I think, at, M- at Monza at the moment, and that's Aston Anonymous. What on earth happened to oh, Aston? Oh my goodness! I thought they were Where back. Were they? They're back. We hardly. I thought they were back. Meant, well, well, according no. to Nando, they were, but even, even, even the saint of Alonso, yeah. we, we, we barely had him grace our presence on the screen. I... Um, it was just unreal. Like the commentators barely mentioned him, and I don't know what happened to Aston, especially after his comments after. Be yeah, a great no, drive no, 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 in Zandvoort and goes, we're going to win a race soon. We're getting there. We're getting there. So they were nowhere. So the f- there is a, does the face fit in commentary and media and stuff? And there was, there was a big will and, and a big investment at the start of the season that the Aston Martin thing was real. They were going to finish P2 challenge for the title. It's too big a climb down to go, oh, that was totally wrong at the beginning. And we should have really anticipated that they would go down into the midfield because that's what this outfit has kind of done. They, they front load their development. We should have celebrated them doing well at the front, but being realistic. They weren't realistic. They got caught up in hyperbole. And, and so now when they spike and peak, the media goes nuts about it. Zanvoort, they're back. Yeah, of course, it's brilliant. They ignored the three races where the form didn't show that. And then it's going to be ignored now that they didn't do well at Monza. That said, you know, track-specific stuff will play a part in that as well. But yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, and, and the gap from Alonso to Stroll is is big. So in fact, I am going to give my missed Apex award to Michael Crack. Ah, oh, fine. My Crack. Okay, the, the bad thing award is my Crack. My Crack is the bad thing. Okay, fine. Because he said, in, 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 he said in a Schaffnauer-esque defense of Lance Stroll, yes, no, the gap isn't big at all. We are letting Lance Stroll down. That side of the garage is doing bad things. Uh, we need to tighten up our strategy and give him the car he needs. So, uh, so my, my crack is taking it all. My crack is taking all the blame for Stroll's bad performance. It's a pretty thankless task, isn't it? Well, Being the, the TP or any kind of management of that. You have, you have to lie. Now. You have to. Yeah. You're forced too lie. Being we saw it with TP for my crack is just not good. Yes. Okay. But- well, look. Uh- <laughs> ah, that's it. Right. I give up. Let's, let's get some jazz on and just end this. Let's end this thing. Go on, Chris. Spanners. Yes. And Kyle. Kyle, there was another AA meeting happening at Monza. And it was Alpine 
anonymous. Oh, because oh, what on earth? Where has the pace gone? Both out in Q1. Didn't see anything of them in the yeah. race at all, except for some smoky breaks from Pierre Gasly. Again. I mean, what on earth? Just absolute non-weekend. Again, engine, engine, engine. So Monza specific. Yeah, exactly. I think... <laughs> Let, let's, a power-sensitive track when yeah, you don't yeah, have yeah. an engine, it's usually bad. Yeah, yeah what okay. an embarrassment. Uh, uh, Matt, who missed the apex for you? Well, if we're going to be, and, and this, I don't know. Like, I, I'm only bringing this up because it seems to be a larger thing. I'm going to go with Toto Wolf. If his reported remarks about Max Verstappen's achievement yeah, were just, accurate. Yeah, I think they were, yeah, yeah. It, it just seems really off base for the kind of organization he represents running and i don't know if it's just because he's become a billionaire now and that's what happens when you have a billion dollars no i've got a theory but I, I, i'm also going to raise the larger question are we suddenly starting to get some questions from mercedes corporate maybe they're are, under pressure so matt look, look yeah. this is combined with lewis hamilton's completely it seems unprovoked attack on a third of the field by saying all my teammates were better than all of Verstappen's teammates, which is <laughs> yeah. just a really... So the whole of Twitter has just been like, well, was Jensen Button better than Pierre Gasly? It's like, like, for, like forget about the maths, about whether that is actually true. Why? Bothering what, with, why yeah. were you saying that? Where, where's that come from? Why has Total that, Wolf right? not just Tone said... That? Why has Total Wolf me? just not said, congratulations on a historic record, the most wins in a row ever. That's great. Le- leave it there. So there's obviously, there's something in the Mercedes upper management and, and drivers and stuff where they've got their backup. So something has got their backup and, and they're going out being quite provocative, which is not very Mercedes-esque. And I think, Kyle, sort of unnecessary, avoidable. Yes, they've kind of let themselves down a little bit. And my little theory yeah. is that this is this is a Red Bull tactic. And Horner has yes, done this for years of this is it. unnecessary, disingenuous, yes. snidey comments in the press. And annoyingly, yeah. I think after 2021, I think hurt them so much that they've been dragged down into it. And now they're trying to do the Red Bull tactic. But two years later. Throw, yeah. throw in some dirt. Yeah. And it's, no, be the bigger mm. men. Don't congratulate them and take it on the chin. But unfortunately, they're not. So I agree with Matt on that. And I agree with you. You guys with lewis's comments were a bit unprovoked it's yeah it's smelling a bit of sour grapes it's like guys have a bit more dignity and don't swoop down to that level but i think they're doing this because red bull have done this to them for years <laughs> they have, and yeah. they've finally just cracked and now they're just doing the same thing which makes them just as bad in my so opinion. it's so yeah, well, well look so you know cracking at the end of all that i wouldn't say is the same as doing it in a sustained way over the course of many years but by their mm. own standard it's strange to look at because one of the things we've sort of admired about Mercedes has been, you know, a, a sort of a cleaner front end. And what we've been talking about with Red Bull has sometimes been very provocative, gaslighty, kind of, you know, just full like media blitz negative tactics. So it's only by their own standards that we're judging them. It's, but it's more worrying. You know, when that one colleague has a really bad day at work and he kicks off at everyone, you don't go, Oi, Derek, what the hell are you doing? You really you should go up to them and say, Derek, is, is, is everything okay? Like, is everything okay at home? You know, what's going on? But look, that doesn't distract at all from the fact that Max Verstappen had another stonking victory at the Italian Grand Prix and has the record for the most ever wins in a row. And that is not to be sniffed at at all. And the Ferraris gave us an excellent, excellent show. And as Matt said, stole the show at their home Grand Prix. So we will look forward now to 
the Singapore Grand Prix. Missed Apex will, of course, be littering you with mailbag questions and uh, mailbag episodes. So send us your questions and feedback at feedback at missedapex.net and we'll get a panel together to answer them and we'll do our best to bring you some interviews and some news before the next Grand Prix. But wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. how to end the show these days do we do a curtain call do we do let's do a curtain call ladies and gentlemen chris stevens Boo, it's very squid. we like chris stevens oh, and it's kyle power oh, kyle, oh, matt Terumpets. boo he went on too long and made too many points in a row and didn't... hilarious you're hilarious you're just angry because i was making max points and spanners he's the best one yeah we love that he's yeah. the best one if i met him in real life i'd ask for a selfie <laughs> it's happened twice now two times at the karting event that we I went yeah. karting with Brad and Alex Brad and Alex got recognised and I didn't <laughs> ouch Spanish, can I um, I got I got my first in on, the on, on the tube on the tube he said on the tube on the tube wow. what is that about selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.